Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants, and how they found their own software success. And now, let's get started with the show. Hi, everyone. This is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where I talk to top leaders in the software field like Seth Godin, Andrew Warner of Mixergy, and many more. This is a show where we talk to proven founders about their 0 to 30,000 MRR journey and beyond. Today's episode is brought to you by OneStop.io. We have 45 developers waiting to take your idea to fruition. If you want a reliable full-stack development team with top talent that costs half as much as in-house developers, and you know you can trust your SaaS or mobile app with us, we'll give you the first 30 days no risk. And we guarantee being on time and on budget, or we finish the project at no extra cost. Contact us at OneStop.io. Let's talk about your SaaS project today. Today, I have George Carollo, the co-founder of Dover.com. Dover is a Y Combinator-backed recruiting platform to help enterprise companies hire the best talent. Today, we'll talk to George about how he was involved in the founding of the platform, how they built the MVP, acquired their first customers, and built Dover to 420,000 MRR. How are you today, George? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the call here. Great. I'm excited to um, talk about some... SAS MVP and how you got Dover going. First of all, can you just tell us a bit about yourself and what exact problem your Dover solves for your customers? Yeah, totally. So my background is probably a little bit different than a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, I started off in finance and kind of drifted on over into building businesses. I started my career doing infrastructure finance and went into private equity. Then after that, got into the startup game um, doing finance at a fintech company. And after that, I decided, like, hey, let's go see if I can build something. And I tried to teach myself to be a crappy front-end engineer along the way, which was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. But then I just wanted to make the bet and make the jump. Um, so what we built at Dover, basically, is we built a solution targeted for hiring managers to help them hire the best talent. So our vision is really to make it seamless for them to engage and retain top talent. Okay, great. So um, has your coding skills helped you being a founder? <laughs> Sadly, no. <laughs> so no. I think my coding skills were helpful in me understanding how the world works, but we have far more sophisticated people on the team than myself that do this sort of stuff, but okay. it helps me talk the language at least. Okay. So it's not like you're like looking, doing code review and selecting engineers no. based on the, no. I think at Dover, I got one commit in and then they kicked me out, out of the repo. I <laughs> see so you're dangerous. You're dangerous, George. You're out of here. Yeah, it was uh, <laughs> The quality wasn't there, so that was... Okay. Well, that's good to know because, uh, you know, other founders may think about that, you know, well, maybe I should learn to code so I can check. And I'm I'm an ex-programmer too, although I would never say that because it was a long time ago, but yeah. um, it hasn't helped me because I, I don't trust, you know, I don't trust that my abilities, people are, the real engineers are going to be able to write much cleaner code. I think I would know. really helpful early days is knowing a little bit about how things work. Um, yeah. I, it's like it's a constant repeat so I can like talk the language and I kind of have an intuition of what is hard and what isn't hard. So I'm not mm-hmm. like throwing out crazy ideas that are like impossible to actually get done because of, you know, some way the model is designed or something like that. So yeah. I think that's been, been a reoccurring helpful thing for me. 
Okay, that's good to know. So tell me about, uh, before the show, you were mentioning um, your co-founders had sort of uh, decided that they were going to do a recruiting platform. Can you tell me why they decided that? And just tell me a little bit about the backstory of how you joined Dover. For sure. So maybe I'll start a little bit with just a bio of the three of us and kind of like how we sure. all work together and stuff and kind of jump into that. So my two co-founders, Max and Visha, they've both known each other since like freshman year at MIT. And I've known them both socially for, I don't know, five or six years or something like that prior to Dover. You um, guys are all in, are you guys in Silicon Valley? Yeah, we are. So yeah, we're all, we're all in San Francisco. And yeah, so we've all known each other for quite a while. And they're also both previous founders. Um, so all three of us have kind of been through the ringer once before. And it was something that they dabbled with some other ideas before jumping into recruiting. Um, and their conclusion was, it's been really hard for us in our previous businesses. Let's go see if we can tackle the problem and build something that we would have wanted to use. Okay. Yeah, this is a huge problem, eh? So is this is the platform sort of designed for headhunters or is it sort of designed for companies to go direct? Yeah, it's all direct. So our solution is really designed for the hiring manager. When I say hiring manager, I mean, think of like, you know, engineering manager or a sales yeah. manager or, you know, the head of customer success or something like that. So most of our users, I probably, I would estimate probably around 50% of our users are actually founders of other businesses. Okay. Um, and the other 50% are, you know, other hiring managers, essentially. Okay. That makes sense. So they knew, they knew that there was a big problem and what was the sort of the ideas were there? Like, a, were they going through a list of ideas and says, okay, well, these are the problems that we see or, or how did they come up with the core problem? Yeah. So I joined probably after they basically decided they were going to do recruiting and they had a list of, I'd say probably 20 ideas. Um, and then they're probably like, I don't know, a couple weeks, month into it at that point. And what we did at the very beginning is we just made the list longer and we got our first customers before we had any tech or any, anything. Um, and it was basically just people that I think it was Max's, one of Max's friends was our first customer. And we just started working for them directly. And we knew that we were going to build a solution for hiring managers. We had a hiring manager. Let's just start. We had all these ideas, like things we wanted to try out. Let's just go see if we can create value for them. So we just started off like very boots on the ground, like, you know, trying to go get them some hires essentially. Okay. So can you just explain that you took them on as a customer? So you were like as a consultant, uh, we were saying, okay, we're going to, we're going to help you find. So you were sort of just getting close and saying, okay, we're going to help you. It sounds like you're almost like a headhunter then. Kind of. Yeah. It was, we had ideas of what we wanted to, like we had this huge list, right? But we just didn't know which ones were good. And we're like, okay, cool. There's a million different ways of tackling this problem. Like, is it to, you know, go get like folks offshore and like help bring talent? Or is it like, do we bring folks to the United States for these companies are looking to hire full-time in-house? Or do we go out and we just go find people directly for them? Or like, there was all these different ideas. Um, and basically we just wanted to try them out um, and hear what they were excited about. So mm-hmm. I think our first probably two or three customers really kind of got a lot, a lot of experimentation that we were trying out on them. I'm just trying to figure out what it is that we wanted to build. And I don't think it was probably until probably a customer, like we kind of just started to narrow over time and basically started crossing things off this like laundry list of ideas of various ways to attack the problem. And probably wasn't until about our 10th customer or so that we're like, okay, cool. This is exactly how we want this product to work. And even then that's constantly evolving, right? But like that was kind of when we locked in like on a vision more or less. Okay, that's that's very interesting. So, how are you charging for this? I mean, because you're doing this manually, was it, or or was it you were just kind of doing as a favor to get feedback? Or no, yeah. So we were early days. We we charged from day zero because we wanted to get idea that people would actually pay for this product. Like there was value there to be had. 
Okay. So we were charging up front, and maybe this is you know based off of like my co-founder's reputations, we were able to do that. Uh, so three of us were able to go out and actually charge folks immediately. Um, I think it was just people trusted us, which was lovely, and you know ever so grateful to those early customers that let us you know learn from them essentially. Okay, that's great. So what was the pricing at that time? Yeah, I think we've always been a monthly subscription. I honestly don't remember the exact prices where we start off at, but we've always been a monthly subscription model. Mm -hmm. And our vision as we've been continuing to build out our platform and make it more and more automated, all the different edges of recruiting, we've been able to continue to push down our price, which is kind of cool. Um, And that's very interesting. Our vision is to really be like, and when I think of a great product, I think of products that are like, just create a ton of value for users and also are insanely cheap. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, you can think of a million different products that do that, right? Or like Netflix, for example, or something like that. Just Netflix amazing Netflix comes to mind, yeah. Something like Typeform, maybe like Typeform. Yeah, exactly. Another, another awesome product. So for us, it's like, how can we build a solution that is like, you know, it fills that same need. Like my goal is like, you know, in a couple of years from now, and someone asks their friend, like, oh, are you using Dover for this? And they're like, oh, no, I'm not using Dover. Like, why are you using Dover? That's ridiculous. Like, you know, they're good and they're incredibly inexpensive. Um, yeah. that's, where, that, that's where I'd like to get us to. Okay. And can we talk about the pricing then? Like, what's your pricing now? Because it's interesting to hear you say that you're pushing down the pricing because most SaaS founders are always talking about raising the pricing and delivering more value, not just to raise the price for nothing, but, you know, to, to increase value. It sounds like you're doing the opposite. You're yeah. increasing value, but bringing down the price, which which I really like because it encourages more users and you can, you know, sort of uh, widen the swath of your user base. That's that's exactly it, Jordy. That's exactly it. That recruiting at the end of the day is kind of like everyone does this, right? It's not like there's any new like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, like this is a new way of like tackling this problem. No one's ever thought of this before. It's not that we're a product. It's more of our vision is like every company has a recruiting problem on earth. Every company does. Mm-hmm. And it's like the way that we expand is by as we can drive our prices down and deliver a better user experience, we'll actually be able to, like, our total market will basically increase, or like our total addressable market will just get wider. Like right now, we tend to be very focused on like startups and tech businesses. And we do all sorts of different roles from from engineering to marketing to sales to, you know, business operations, all sorts of stuff. Um, but those users have like a really high willingness to pay. Okay. Because they're venture back, they have much money. They're like, hey, like my scarce commodity is time, not so much money on getting that's my right. company to work. And that's who we work a lot with today. As we've been pushing down prices, we've been getting into more traditional businesses as well, which is, you know, the folks who are like, oh, yeah, this place has been around for 15 years. It's not venture backed. It, you know, they don't have like a billion dollars to pay for everything. Um, Mm -hmm. And then we're basically able to like expand our market as we push down prices. Okay. And what is the price? Do you do it on a per hire basis or how is it? So we're a subscription model. Um, We do quarterly commitments. And the way it works is we basically throw out. We start with the first roll $3,000 a month. And as people lump on more roles, we give like really crazy discounts. A lot of our, like a lot of our values getting in with the customer that we want to help soak up as many of the different positions they're looking for as possible. So some of our larger customers are doing 20, 30 roles with us at a given time. Okay. So huge contracts we're saying then, because you're saying 3000 a quarter. So 12000 a year, which is reasonable, right? It's something that you would pay more than that for a, a, a good headhunter, right? It's 3000 a month. Yeah, oh, 3000 a month even, okay. Yeah. So roughly 36 uh, a okay. year. Yeah. Um, but again, as I mentioned, to, you, you know, C-level C executives or a headhunter are paying more than that. So they're probably not 
really is there a lot of objections with that price when they hear that or how is the sales process going yeah it's a great question so we still don't have a salesperson at dover uh, we have our chief of staff who's kind of been our hero and plugging in for us on this front but we basically found that like we kind of come in at like a third of the cost of everything else recruiting's incredibly expensive when people go out there you're going to go try to hire a you know, you're going to go hire a salesperson if you go to a headhunter you're going to pay probably 20 percent of their base salary so mm-hmm. that person makes, you know, base 100K, they're making, you know, 160 OT or something like that. Mm-hmm. They're, you're going to pay that person 20 grand to get that higher. For us, we're coming in, we'll probably be able to make you two hires in the course of three months. And so we're just way, way cheaper than everything else out there right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. But one of the benefits uh, of going with a headhunter is that they're doing the work, right? And they have contacts. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons I would think could be attractive to... How do you get over that objection in this during the sales calls? Like, well, it sounds like I'm still going to be doing the work. You might bring me more qualified candidates, but, you know, at least a headhunter is doing a lot of the vetting. How do you guys help with that? Yeah, so we actually do a lot of the vetting as well. So I can maybe talk a little bit more kind of like what Dover is and then give a little more color there. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. let's do that because I, I'm trying to, it's obviously, you know, it's vague right now. So yeah. I think that would be really helpful. And I think it would be helpful to really talk about it from the core problem at the beginning. So in the MVP sort of story right now, you're you're doing this manually, it sounds like. So you're acting as the headhunter. Can you break down like how you started to build the SaaS and sort of flesh out this problem and do it through a platform. For sure. So when we first started on Visha, my co-founder was doing, she was doing just like, it was a spreadsheet school where we had Airtable. It was just like a bunch of candidates flying everywhere. It probably looked like every recruiter's desk on earth. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just like a total mess. We're trying to go find candidates for our customers. And what we found was through doing just tons and tons of this and months worth um, and reviewing hundreds, we probably reviewed thousands of resumes. We're probably reviewing a hundred a day, kind of at our peak, mm-hmm. sort of automating things that like, it was actually really repeatable what we were doing when we were looking at a resume and trying to figure out if this is a reasonable person or not. And that was really kind of where the core Dover like value add came in. We called the, for lack of a better term, like the Dover brain is what we call it internally. But this is the okay. idea of like, we can ingest a resume and say, oh, this person looks like a reasonable fit for this position, or they don't look like a reasonable fit. And that's kind of our core okay. technology that we've developed. And what we did is we tied that into different channels of different ways to get candidates. So Dover, we're kind of like a recruiting orchestration platform. We sit on top of all the different channels that exist to get candidates. And we move them through the recruiting process. Mm -hmm. So in lots of ways, we are like that recruiter, that that contingency recruiter that we're discussing. We actually go find candidates from all different ways. Dover will figure out if they're actually a good fit, and they'll present them to the hiring manager. And all this is automated. Okay. It's all automated. So there's no manual. There's no like sort of manual going out. So obviously I'm very interested in the technology. When you say channels, you're talking, are you talking like Slack and LinkedIn or what are you talking about for channels? Yeah, you actually t- to touch on two of them. Yeah, exactly. So I think of channels, there's three different sources to get candidates. We argue there's inbound, outbound and referral. So inbound is you throw up a job out on LinkedIn or Indeed or, you know, we work remotely or whatever platform you want to throw it up on. So those candidates apply, they come in. There's outbounds. This is reaching out to people proactively. So, you know, you go find them somewhere on the internet, you know, Twitter, Facebook, wherever. You email them and say, hey, would you be interested in this position? And then there's referrals. So this is friends and friends of friends and things like that. So we'll tie into people's social networks and tell them, hey, you already know somebody who might be a good fit for this position. So we'll take those three channels. And if the person passes, Dover will present them to the hiring manager. 
And around 60% of the time, we track this very religiously, about 60% of the time the hiring manager approves the candidates we send them. So we, we have a Slack integration and they pop up probably two candidates a day in your Slack channel and you have a thumbs up or a thumbs down if you want to talk to them. And then we'll route them to you for that first round phone screen. Or if you don't want to do the first round phone screen, Dover will also do it for you. Okay. So they're essentially being vetted by the technology, but it's going to the end user, the client, and they're saying, okay, and they're doing the actual the interviewing and all that. Yeah, they can do the interviewing. We also just recently launched uh, a newer interviewing product probably about six months ago or so. So we'll actually do the first round phone screen if the hiring manager doesn't want to take it. Okay. What we found a lot of times is hiring managers tend to be pretty risk averse because they're just like, especially in startups, like you have a million different things going on. Yeah. And you know, you're like, I don't know if this person's a great fit. I don't necessarily want to take the call. Um, cause they didn't mention, I really want someone new with it. It was Python experience. And this person doesn't explicitly say that in their profile. So, or doesn't say that exactly on their resume. So I'm not sure if I want to talk to them or not. So a lot of times they'll get kicked our, kicked us and we'll go figure out that information the hiring manager wants. Then we'll again, send them back through the Slack channel integrations and Hey, we found out X, Y, and Z. We learned about this candidate. Would you be interested in moving them forward in process? Okay. But it sounds like there must be some sort of, uh, not necessarily onboarding of the, of the, uh, the vetting. There is some manual is. I mean, there's a, an account manager that's helping it all or? Yeah, we call them engagement managers, but they don't do any of the recruiting work. That's all done by the Dover platform. What we do is we try to help our users understand the ecosystem. And I think this is something that like Max Ambish and I didn't understand very well in our previous lives. And one of our big things where we can really help hiring managers think through this. And this is probably one of our like big insights from our prior lives. And something we were really mm-hmm. excited about this problem was helping users understand trade-offs. Okay. Right. You know, everyone goes out and they, they want the same person. It's kind of funny. Like we onboard new customers and they're looking for, you know, one engineer went to like a top five school that, you know, is five to eight years out. That's like built a product from scratch, maybe even founded something before and yada, yada, yada. And it's always the same. Yeah. Everybody's looking for the same person. Okay. And I think that you kind of start doing the math on those. And this is what Dover's, we have on our platform say, well, there's only like 4,000 people that exist like that on earth. Uh-huh. And after you throw in some other constraints you want, you might be down to like a thousand pretty quickly. Okay. And we reach out as our users, always on our users' behalf. So the candidates never know Dover exists. We reach out as the hiring manager to them. Or right, okay. we apply, we'll schedule them for a first round phone call as the hiring manager. Like Dover is totally white labeled. Yeah. So it's always the company's brand. And so what we do is we help our users understand their brand and how their brand is resonating in the market and the trade-offs that they have to make if they want to, you know, change their dials. Oh, we I yeah. want someone with more experience. Well, okay, that means you probably have to either pay more or give them a bigger title to keep people interested, or you're gonna have like your interest rate die off and people aren't gonna be interested in this role. Yeah. And you mentioned white labels. Do you find headhunters are coming to you and actually using this um, as sort of a arbitrage? Um, it's a great question. I've had people say this to me. It's actually interesting. Some of our earlier users are like, oh my gosh, I expect that's going to happen. And it hasn't happened, um, which I'm uh, okay. it might just be the way we market ourselves, which is very company because we are company centric. There's only folks who work with our yeah. companies. And I think that they might understand, okay, cool. This is not something that is designed for me. So we haven't had too much interest from, from those folks. Okay. That makes sense. How about keeping the talent? Like how, how are you going out and approaching talent? Um, what, we, um, what do you mean by that exactly? Well, I mean like, you know, the people that your clients trying to get the candidates, are they actually, how are they finding you and, and what's their process to, you know, the interested people that want the positions? Yeah. So we basically collect a bunch of data and we help promote our users on the correct platforms for them. And sometimes it's like, oh, you're looking for like a founding engineer, like often a great resource for that is AngelList. Um, mm-hmm. That's a great place to post that. They have a really rich network of people who are really interested about startups. Maybe you're a more mature company, you're a thousand person company or something like that. And 
you're looking for a salesperson. Like, okay, great. Like salespeople spend a ton of time on LinkedIn prospecting. So throwing your job ads up on LinkedIn is actually a really great resource to do that. So this is where we can kind of like help our users, help them figure out where to post stuff. And we'll actually go post it for them. But we basically collaborate with them based on our best best learnings about like, where, how are you going to go get folks? Okay, so you're essentially helping the platform then is saying, okay, they come in through the platform, they write the copy for the the position, and then you guys post it out on Angel, Angel's List and LinkedIn and Indeed, as you mentioned. Those are the channels you were talking about. Exactly right. That's exactly right. So they come to us with a job description around like, hey, I'm looking for someone who's XYZ. They got this work experience. They can do this. They're like this far out of school, whatever these different things are. And then we'll say, great, given that, here's a great strategy to actually go find that person. And, and we'll iterate with them. So you kind of mentioned our account managers. We call them engagement managers. Um, okay. But what they do is they basically help the user understand these things and work with them and kind of coach them through this um, and help educate them around like, this is a good channel. This is probably not a great channel. Here's how you guys are you know, being in a comparative setting as other businesses. Here's how mm-hmm. you're taken out um, and kind of help them increase their game over time. Okay, great. Can we go back to the sort of the MVP? I want to sort of flesh that out as well. The uh, So you guys started to get, you narrowed down your problems. Can you just kind of walk me through like how you came up with the core problem? Who was doing the actual coding? Did you have to go out and get funding or did you guys build the platform initially yourself and get some users and then go out to get funding? Yeah, that's a great question. So we we had our first customers before we had any funding. And both of my co-founders are, are engineers. We built the first MVP amongst the three of us, essentially. And like MVP is kind of a, I think in some products it's clearer than our product. We're talking a huge product surface area. Everything from, you know, like we mentioned, like finding the candidates and engaging yeah. them all the way to like scheduling them and making sure they show up for the interviews and all that sort of stuff. And a lot yeah. of this stuff we're still building today. We're two years in. We're trying to cover this huge product surface area. So I always talk about like um, different versions of products and we always start kind of V0 in my mind or MVP, same idea. And yeah. We got our first, like, you know, I guess the first real MVP was spreadsheets. Um, mm-hmm. We hadn't written a line of code probably until we had, I don't know, probably some single digit number of customers. And it wasn't until we kind of understood the problem deeply enough that we wanted to start saying, okay, cool, let's start spending energy on trying to build a repeatable solution for this after we know what it looks like first principally. Okay. And so at this time, really, if we're talking about, it sounds like, if you have three customers, you're probably charging them 3000 So you're at 10 k already, right? So you're kind of covering, you know, you guys are running lean, right? But you're at least being able to pay the bills and you're able to survive. You don't have to have a second job or something like that. Yeah. Um, All three of us had left our previous positions and were full-time on this. And we basically were like, we'll just, you know, eat it for now. And our expenses were really low. We weren't really paying for much. We were hanging out like had some free office space we were hanging out in that was like, you know, startup stuff in San Francisco. And we were yeah. in a booth all day um, talking about stuff. And we had to pay for Airtable. And like, that was kind of about it at the beginning. <laughs> like it was Right. Pretty- so it was just, you, you, and you had the two engineers from MIT who were probably pretty good developers. Yeah, um, they're, so they- yeah, they're both incredibly strong. So they were both starting to kind of hack on stuff. But I think maybe we kind of knew that like, I think a lot of folks start doing development work potentially too early before they know what the solution looks like. And they start chasing down paths before they like, yeah. oh yeah, this is actually what my user wants. And they start trying to build a solution and like hoping that will come sort of thing. And I think we were the exact opposite, which was maybe we were almost too late building technology, to be frank. We were 
really worried about like, what does the user want? How are we gonna build an awesome user experience for them? And then, okay, we'll start building thing after we know exactly what it is that we want to build. And where did you get that? Where did you, you get that? Is that intuition or was that experience? Because that's a really important, I mean, I can't tell you how many founders that I speak to, you know, on this show or just coming to me looking for MVPs to get built. And they, you know, it's the same thing. It's like, okay, I know what my customer wants. I'm going to build it, you know, and they don't have any customers. And where did you get that strong sense of like delaying, delaying, get user feedback, get user feedback? Yeah, I think... So I think there's two elements to it for us. Um, one of them is just that we've, since we all, this is all our second time founding a business, we were just more comfortable doing that because mm-hmm. we'd made the mistake before of like, I'm going to build this thing. And then you give it to the first couple of users and they're like, well, actually that's a really cool feature, but that's not really what I want. I want this other thing to happen over here instead. And you're like, oh, okay. And then you realize like your initial idea around, you know, feature A was not nearly as important as the thing you learned from users after they had it in their hands, uh, which was feature B. And you actually know it's been all your time feature B, but you can waste a lot of time at the beginning doing feature A. So yeah. I think we'd all kind of first, you know, all done that before and made that mistake. So we're like, okay, cool, let's not do that. Also, our business kind of lends itself easier to doing this, I think, a lot of SaaS businesses. Like yeah. if you're gonna go build like, you know, some like Asana like tool, right? Where you're gonna track tasks and something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, you might be able to do some stuff in a spreadsheet early day and like give it to a user and get their feedback on it, but it's probably going to be pretty hard um, to, to get that very far where our business was just easier to do that with um, because of the nature of the product that we provide. Well, and it's simply because you can afford to sort of manually do it to, if you're getting paid 3000 a month per client. So you have some, some leeway to really do a lot for them manually. Yeah, that's, that's right. I think the other thing is like at the beginning, like we were never expecting to make, any money, we were probably hemorrhaging money from our own time doing, doing this yeah. in the beginning. But it was more about the product discovery that we cared about rather than like, oh, like, are we maximizing the dollars out of folks or are we, you know, is, is this not actually a profitable endeavor? Uh, we were trying to just figure out like, what's the product that, that we want to build for people? And like, how do we get product market fit? Mm-hmm. So you started to build it. When did you feel like, was there a moment where you felt like, okay, I know the core problem. Like, how did you, because as you say, it's such a far reaching issue. How, how did you sort of narrow that down and start to automate it? That's a great question. So we started narrowing down what we were going to build after we had that first handful of users and saw, okay, cool. They all have this problem. And understanding the way in which users evaluated candidates. That was the really big thing for us. After having tons and tons and tons of conversations with founders and hiring managers, we're like, okay, cool. These are the attributes they're actually looking for in a candidate. Understanding that started to allow us to start really building, you know, the Dover brain that I alluded to earlier and like started building that algorithm that said, okay, cool. This is actually what they're looking for. Let's start training the algorithm to target those things, the things that they're actually looking for. And what we learned is that Hiring managers often share way too much data, way more than what's actually needed when they're looking okay. for somebody. Because they're trying to think through it themselves. They're trying to figure out like, oh, who is this person? What's their background? You know, what's going to get them excited about working at, you know, my company? And we had to kind of parse through all that and figure out, okay, which of the parts are actually important they are going to drive whether this person's a good fit to that business or not. Okay. And so at what point did you feel like you needed to go out and get funding? So we entered YC in May of 19. That was about five months into the business, I guess. Five months, okay. Yeah. And how long had um, your co-founders been writing code then um, at that point? They'd been writing code for 
probably two months or something like that. <laughs> and pretty, so they had something. And saying like writing code was like, it was very, not most of the day was writing code. It was No, but it sounds like probably what was happening is it sounds like they got something that says, okay, I'm tired of doing this manually. Let's automate this. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like that's what the sort of the evolution of the first foundational product, I guess. And did you know you wanted to do YC? Why not Techstars or something else? Yeah, so Max had done YC once before for his previous business. He thought very highly of it. My co-founder Avisha was exceptionally excited about doing YC, and we jumped into it. And it was it was an incredibly valuable experience. I think I was probably the most skeptical of the three of us because I was like, well, we've all been founders before. We kind of like don't you know know how to like not exactly screw everything up. You know, we can like get yeah. things correct. But the thing that I really took away from the experience, which was interesting, is it gave me a different vocabulary to think about building a business with. It, it felt like. I don't know if you ever, do you ever take like any psychology classes or like class? Not really. No. Okay. Well, anyways, when I took like, you know, 101 to like sociology, I remember I got like a new language set to describe the world. And that was really mm-hmm. interesting. I'd already observed these things happening before, but I didn't have the right way to talk about it. And YC really allowed me to like grow in terms of like, oh, I actually have the right language to talk about these problems I'm seeing now within a business, which helped me think about it in a more clear way rather than going circular on myself on it. So that was like incredibly valuable. So is it sort of like as this vocabulary that you're using to pitch like VCs or is it more like speaking from a sales perspective, trying to like prospect or? It's more product focused. Like, okay, maybe this sounds incredibly, oh, this does sound naive and I was naive. Um, but like the idea of like, what does product market fit feel like? Um, and trying to get to that was something that I didn't really appreciate before. I think I was too, in my prior life as a founder, I was way too sales focused. Okay. I was worried about revenue growth and like month over month percentages and things like yeah, that. Yeah, you're a finance guy, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, and I was really worried about that. And now the second go round, it's, I think also as a second time founder, I'm, I'm more relaxed. It's kind of like, I guess, like your second child. You're just a little more like, well, you know, it's going to yeah. do its thing and you kind of got to roll with it. And I've been much more comfortable in focusing on the product. And I think that that's enabled us both short-term and long-term to have better growth actually, which is just stay really close to the user, stay on top of the product, really keep doubling down on that. Cause I think great businesses are built by having an amazing product, not by having the perfect sales strategy. I think that right. comes later. And I don't know when that's going to be for us when that later happens. Um, but it's probably a little ways down the road still is my guess. Right. Okay. So can you tell me some of the pros and cons of YC? I mean, there's gotta be some cons. I mean, no, you have no regrets. It sounds like. So they, well, they take 7% of your company. That's a con. So like it's expensive in terms of that, but the, the network is really valuable. It helps create a great dynamic. I think, and I'm sure all of the incubators do this. They help create a dynamic for fundraising, which is very useful, mm-hmm. um, which is. And they have like contacts at all the big, I mean, especially YC, right? They're like in the heart. Yeah. I, yeah, exactly. So they have the contacts, they'll, they have the demo day and everyone will come all the different, you know, VCs will come and it, there's a little bit of like this like feeding frenzy kind of feeling, which is like, oh, there's a million different companies presenting and everyone's like got the checkbook out and like ready to make decisions that day. Mm-hmm. And getting people in that state of mind, I think is really hard. Um, in my yeah. previous business, I didn't go through IC, but we raised money and it was just more challenging to get people to kind of like lean in and commit because there wasn't this like kind of like big event around it sort of thing. And I think that I'm sure that, you know, tech stars and other folks do this as well, but help create this like dynamic that helps companies you know, get investors over that hump and get them excited enough to actually make that commitment. Mm-hmm. But in general, you think um, highly of the experience and you would recommend it to other people. Yes, most definitely. Especially if you're a first timer, I think okay. it's really, really important. 
the other thing that maybe I was fortunate as well um, in my first business, I had a lot of friends who had started companies before and they were kind of like my emotional support network and uh-huh. you know, people like telling me like how to not exactly screw everything up um, and learning from their mistakes. And YC does a ton of that as well. He's in these groups with other founders and you just hear stories about like, oh, okay, cool. And you'll learn things like, oh, I shouldn't, I should definitely not do that. Or like, that was a great idea. So-and-so did, let's try that out here in building businesses. So it's very collaborative, which is, I think, very important for like mental health as you're trying to get something started. Yeah. So just to clarify, it sounds like the three of you had previous experience. Were there any, was there any success at all? Was there some exits with that? I mean, it seemed like you're sort of described those as failures, but were they really failures? I think it depends on how you define success. I think for all of us, we we want to build a product that's going to touch just a ton of different people and create a ton of business value for folks or, you know, make, make the world a better place, I guess is another way to articulate that. I think all of our other businesses were all fairly small. And they're all, all three of them actually still going. Um, okay. They exited and so they found it, exited or what was No, the they're name? all still being run. They're, 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 okay. they're still going, but they're all just smaller businesses. I think okay. Dover is now larger than all three of them. Um, okay. And I think that those businesses didn't have quite the reach that. Okay. Dover so had. they're still on, they run them, but they haven't like somebody's run, operationally running them and they're just still owners. Exactly. That's exactly right. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. So they have no involvement. Um, they said, this isn't big enough. We want to start something that's more exciting or whatever, more interesting. That's exactly right. And it just like, it's a, it was a, I think it was a tough decision for all three of us to do that. And we all kind of actually did it at different dates over time as well. Um, but we all kind of ended up coalescing. Like, I think Max was like a year before Anvisha and Anvisha was six months before me, before I technically joined the business. Um, okay. And we'd all known each other before and we were still in the ideation phase and we all kind of came together. I think it's my, one of my other big learnings about doing this a second go around is like, I've always heard, you know, don't mix friends with business sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I have the exact opposite opinion now, which is like, oh, really? Okay. yeah, when you're early days, it's hard because you're making decisions with very little data and it's hard to make. I think this is one of the hardest things about getting an MVP out the door or getting that first you know, number of customers is you're in this environment where you have essentially no data or you'd like to, you know, someone told you something and you're like, okay, great. I guess I'll go do that now. And a lot of it's intuition. And maybe that's a point solution for just that one user or, oh, actually that is a generalizable thing I should build because it will help other people as well. I think it's a really hard thing to figure out. So having a friend group that you can bounce ideas off of good and bad and have them shoot you down and not have it be an ego blow because you know them and trust them well enough Mm -hmm. is very, very, very important. I think that makes companies move faster. That iteration can go faster. Okay. So you're at YC, you're still working on the company. It sounds to me like we're around 10 to 15,000 in revenues. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I think it's about right. Yep. Okay. And at some point you must have had some explosive growth here. Can you walk me through like, I mean, this podcast is called The Big Break. I mean, was there a moment where you had a big break? Yeah, I think there was. And it's not where I would have expected it. So I'll kind of explain this. Okay. The, um, we went through YC. We had like fairly linear growth. Things were going fairly well. I think we were probably doing, I think when we exited YC, we were doing about 60K a 60K. month. 60K. And how long is YC? Um four months, I believe in total. Four months, okay. So, you, so you're growing pretty well. We're growing pretty well. And it wasn't until really after YC, we're like, oh my gosh, we got to like really double down on building out the Dover brain. Cause on Vish and I were still running around like crazy people with like our heads cut off. In air, were but, you still using air tables and things oh, like yeah. that? At the... Oh Lord. Oh yeah. We were using air table for an embarrassing long, long amount of time. We didn't have like you're a not still <laughs> using it though. Now you're not using it though, right? No, no, no. <laughs> okay. I don't want to open the curtains too much, but you know, <laughs> at least we can rule air tables out. 
Yeah, no, we were using it through for a very long time. That was like our database. Um, and yeah. you know, we would like, build, we were using their API and things, but like, it was still like we wanted some nice visualization layer so we could like double check what was happening. So we're trying to build out the algorithm and test what's going on. So it was an easy way yeah. to visualize it. But yeah, so we basically got to a point towards the end, uh, a little couple months after I see like, okay, great. Let's like just actually freeze new sales. Like, yeah, let's double down on building the product. And we got, yeah. I would kind of maybe call this our first real MVP actually it was born maybe at this time, which was, Dover started actually like identifying good candidates by itself for the first time. And that was, I guess, probably about a year into the business's life at that point um, okay. was when that really started to happen. And we like trusted the algorithm to actually do a very good job at this rather than like Anvisha and I supervising it. So that was January of 2020. So great. We're like, okay, cool. It kind of works. Let's, let's start ramping up sales again. And then COVID hits in March and like a quarter of our customers are like, oh my gosh, the world's coming to an end. No one knows what's going to happen. Yeah. Like, yeah. so we lose, I don't know what it was, 20, 15%, 20% of our revenue pretty quickly in like March, April, May. Okay, so you're down to 40 now. Yeah. So you're at 60, you're down to 40. Okay. And then from there until now, which I guess has been back. Now you, so you 10 x right? You 10 x yeah. in a year? Yeah, exactly. And I think this is kind of like when you're saying like the big break kind of element, I think this is when this happened. I think there were three things that happened for us. I think we're kind of lucky and hard work kind of combo. So we had basically everyone had laid off their recruiting teams during those mm -hmm. first couple of months of COVID. Cause everyone's like, Oh my God, freeze hiring. Everyone's doing massive layoffs. Yeah. Like it felt like the end of the world was happening. And all the startups were like, Oh my God, lockdown, you know, lockdown the coffers, like let's make, get the burn under control, that sort of stuff. Cause everyone laid off their recruiting team, which kind of like created like, like a bunch of green pasture for us. The other thing that happens, everyone went remote. And mm -hmm. when everyone goes remote, people care less about like the emotional support of having a in-house resource to do this. Mm -hmm. They're not sitting next to me. They're not like my friend. Like it's more like, it becomes more about metrics. Like, Hey, can you deliver, okay. can you deliver this outcome I want? I think that also lent itself better to Dover. And then the third thing was, is during that time, we made a decision during that three months to say, Hey, Max can go out and do a bunch of sales for us and try to keep the wheels on the bus. But ultimately, if people aren't hiring, they're not hiring. And there's nothing we can really do about that. Mm -hmm. So let's just double down and continue to build out our product. And we were lucky we had raised our round after YC. So we're sitting there like, we're only a six-person company. We can just kind of like ride this thing out for some number of years if we need to. And you had some revenues too, to, you know, to clarify, you know, you guys are at 40, maybe 50K. Yes, exactly. So we're like, let's just, let's just ride this thing out. And that we just double down and like really focus on product. It's probably one of the most magical startup experiences I had was during that early COVID period, which was there was basically no customer noise because we weren't onboarding any new folks. We're like, mm -hmm. let's just try to make this really, really amazing experience for our existing customers that we have okay. um, and double down on that. And I think those three things in combo really is what led to our fairly, you know, very, very high growth it, from like yeah, you know, July until now that we've experienced. Okay. Okay. And is it growth still continuing? I mean, has it slowed down any? Is it, I mean, maybe COVID seems like it's fading right now, but it doesn't matter. You're seeing your customers are still, uh, you know, post COVID are now thinking more like they can handle a virtual type of experience for this. Yeah. We haven't felt any slowdown yet. I'm holding my breath, you know, on this sort of thing. Yeah. I don't, I think product market fit is you, you have to maintain it. And right. I think this is something where I'm very cautious um, and I want to, you know, I want to always get stronger product market fit, but the world's constantly changing around you. And I think it's like being dynamic to that and trying to figure out like, okay, where's, how does this product need to change based off of where people are excited about today, which is different what they were excited about tomorrow. 
Um, so staying on top of that, I think it's incredibly, like is that, that's what consumes all my mental cycles right now, basically, is trying to keep that growth, trying to keep the product moving forward and making it better for folks. Okay. And how is, how are you finding churn? I mean, is that 420 that you have now, is that going to be pretty stable? Like if something did happen, you guys could uh, essentially just keep that. Cause I mean, 420 is great, right? You, you guys could maybe plateau there for a year and kind of then again, dive down into the, into the platform. Yeah. It's been a, this has actually been discussions we've had about like, okay, maybe we should do that again. Cause it was so, the rewards were so deep from doing that last time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And What's happened is we've been, I guess, getting very lucky and from hard work, fortunate that we've been able to bring out a lot of wonderful people onto the team that's allowed us to actually kind of do both simultaneously. And I think that's kind of the trick of building a business is to, you kind of got to like, you know, build the airplane as you're flying it. And that's one of those things that we've been just, you know, doubling down on is like bringing wonderful people onto the team that are going to allow us to do that essentially. And you're using your platform to find those people, I presume. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. It's been a ton of all of the early, early folks were referrals. And then a lot of more recent folks have been, after you kind of exhaust your friend network, you got to figure something else out. And that's where, you know, yeah. Rover helps with that as well. So that's what we've been doing. Okay. Well, we're getting close to the end of uh, our agreed upon time, but I want to ask one question. What are some of the best tips that you have from a hiring perspective? Mm-hmm. Like, because you're hiring yourself. You see a lot of, you know, I'm hiring all the time too. What are some of your like your top five recommendations on hiring? Yeah, I can give you a few for sure. So I think something that I've learned over and over again is like lay out your interview process and be really clear about what it is. Mm-hmm. Like know the stages of your interview process. Normally it starts with like a first round phone screen, then there's a second round, then there's like maybe a take home assignment and on site and then, you know, an offer out. That's like the standard hiring process. And know what you're evaluating in each of those stages. I think the mistake that I've made, and I've seen a lot of other people make, is they try to do everything in that first round interview. They're trying to evaluate if this person would be the perfect fit, if they have the right technical skill set, if they're good, if they're excited about the business, like all that sort of stuff. And they end up not being very successful in the recruiting because they filter everyone out at the beginning because mm-hmm. you haven't even given the candidate time to actually get excited about your business yet because they're trying to learn about it in that first phone call. So you filter mm-hmm. everyone out and then you don't make any hires. And this is the normal risk averse thing that everyone does when they're doing this um, for like the first couple of times. So it's too heavy on the weeding out in the first phase. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like when you lay out that process for yourself, it's like trust the process. Okay. And understand that, you know, we've basically what we've seen across all of our users is that it takes about 25 first round phone screens to make a hire. And you kind of like fall off at like 50% of each of those stages. And that's how you okay. end up that one hire at the end. Um, okay. And a lot of people will just they're too specific early on and they never actually learn about the person. They didn't give that candidate a chance to show them their skills or to show them you know, their real attributes. You ask them about one or two experiences and they're like, oh, that's not exactly the type of experience I want. And, you, and companies reject them. And I think that's a lot of times where people make mistakes. I've done this a million times too. It's, mm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a learned thing. Okay. Next tip. The other big thing that I would share, especially for founders in recruiting is I've probably done about a thousand first round phone screens to kind of people an idea of like how much I've done of this. Yeah. It probably took me 700 of them to learn this. <laughs> so I was a slow learner, yeah. but yeah. I used to pitch the company immediately to a candidate. Uh-huh. Um, I'd be all excited. Like, oh my gosh, this person looks great. It'd be wonderful if they join the team. Let me just tell them all about Dover and what's going on here. And what I've learned, which is actually more effective is to, when I get on the call, I love to ask somebody like, Hey, super excited to jump on. What got you excited enough to talk with me today? I immediately get that person to open up and talk yeah. about what they're looking for. And if that person sounds good or thoughtful or like, you know, has a reasonable shot, then I, when I give the Dover pitch, 
I know exactly how to talk to them. I know exactly how to talk to their points that they're excited about. Um, and that will help increase the probability of actually closing them at the end of the day. Because I now know what they're looking for. Classic sales is basically shut up and listen, right? Just get right. them talking. Oh, start with an opener, get them talking, learn more, and then listen. And then you know what they want. Exactly. Is that essentially what you're saying? Yeah. So I think those are kind of, kind of the two biggest things I see folks mess up time and time again and, and mistakes I've made for years. Okay. How about for like technical? I mean, are you guys doing testing and stuff? I mean, you know, like code tests and stuff like, I mean, is that built into the platform? Are you looking at doing that? Because it sounds like probably hiring developers probably a big piece of what you guys do. Yeah. So I, what we've seen is there's a lot of difference in how companies do code tests. So Dover will integrate with different products on that front. And we help schedule those different aspects of it. Okay. Um, so that's not anything you just connect and figure that out. And says the hiring, your client will say, well, we need to use this such and such a test. And then you guys integrate with yeah, that. Or actually we do a pair programming session and, you know, so-and-so my team wants to pair program with them. Can we get that set up and get that aligned? Mm -hmm. So we'll do like okay. the scheduling for that sort of work as well. Okay, great. Uh, okay. I want to thank you so much for your time, George. I want to make sure you can get off to your next call, but, uh, how can people find out more about, obviously, Dover.com will be in the show notes, but anything more if they want to reach out to you? How can people talk to you more if they want to find out more about what you guys are up to? Yeah, there's a ton of blogs and information on there as well for best hiring practices and things like that, which I think are useful. And there's also a handful of free tools to help find candidates and stuff for folks. I would definitely check our website. It's probably the best resource for that sort of thing. Okay, great. Okay, well, thank you so much for your time, George. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Big Break Software Podcast with your host, Jordy Wardman. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web. Keep listening and your software Big Break could be right around the corner. <music>